Welcome to this week's episode of Resisting the Dragon's Beast. I'm Pastor Michael Zarling here on Planet Hoth. That's my background uh, because we've got a, a snowstorm here in Racine. And then I'm here with Peter Hagen, the editor of the book. How are you doing today, Peter? Wonderful. Living here in uh, balmy Ohio. Um, if you ever don't like snow, you should come to Ohio, um, specifically Toledo, because we don't get snow. Really? That's weird. Why is that? Um, because we're right at the uh, the west edge, west corner of Lake Erie, and all the moisture from Lake Erie makes the um, weather go around us for the most part. So talking about Lake Erie, you shared something this week that was special about Lake Erie and NFL, right? What was that? Oh, yeah. All the, all the Lake Erie teams made the playoffs in the same year. Um, so like the Detroit Lions, which is a little bit of a stretch, but still Lake Erie-ish. Um, the Cleveland Browns and the Buffalo Bills. And apparently back back in the day, the uh, Cleveland Browns were awesome uh, before Art Modell fired their head coach two years into his eight-year contract. Um, but I presume that's why they were called the Cleveland Browns because his last name was Brown and he won like 72% of his games. Yeah, there you go. Well, congratulations <laughs> to all those Lake Erie teams and I guess in the NFL. So we're on the chapter called Christian Quietism. We're on the bottom of page 115, talking about suffering for the name of Jesus. They're quoting Jesus. He teaches from Matthew 24, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciples to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the master of the house was called Beelzebul, how much more members of his household so they're being connected to the name of Jesus is going to bring uh, is going to bring suffering. So what kind of suffering, Peter, do we see in the Christian church because we're connected to the name of Christ? Oh, boy. I think um, the one that normally jumps out to people's minds is we start furthest away like Christians on the other side of the world uh, suffering blatant persecution for their faith. Um, you know, like governments tearing down churches or making it illegal to bring a Bible into a, into a country, like a number of countries in the Middle East. But I think, you know, that's, that's definitely there. Um, but if we start internally, you know, the Christian is going to um, be more attuned to what God's law says and will be more sensitive to it. And so there is the suffering of knowing the good I want to do and that I don't do and what I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Um, in a way that the unbeliever isn't going to have. Um, but then beyond that, as we try to as we try to exercise our Christian faith in you know in this world, um, we see maybe a little bit of suffering or um, mischaracterization is the way it usually comes across um, when other other Christians or Christians you know kind of snipe at each other and um, about doctrine and other Christians try to misconstrue a doctrinal position with all sorts of straw man arguments and red herring arguments that don't, that aren't germane because they aren't logical arguments, they're fallacies. Um, so there is, within the visible Christian church, there is suffering for the truth, which means um, being willing to be unpopular even when your position is mischaracterized. Um, and then even more broadly beyond that, um, when we see, especially as Christians interact with the secular culture, that Christian truth is going to be um, increasingly unpopular 
Um, and that, I mean, that, that's always been the case, but we've had a period of nearly 250 years of um, relative quiet here in North America, uh, in the United States, and where, where the main idea, main mode of thinking, cultural thought, um, was pretty much in line with some semblance of Christian truth or some semblance of natural law. And, um, and that isn't the case anymore where if you believe you know a particular thing about about marriage or about children or about um you know the responsibilities that god has given to a mother and a father then it's very easy to mischaracterize that as well you sound like a bigot you sound backwards you sound like somebody who's stuck in the past and what sort of person would believe in a literal creation anyway um well i do because if you don't believe in creation then you call jesus a liar <laughs> let's just start with that yeah and and with that i was thinking of a babylon b article which is christian satire which uh an article recently uh, called 10 differences between the underground church and the american church and i'm just going to read a couple of these to see what we consider persecution in america or just the things that the american church here does Versus the ancient church, or even, like you said, the current church that's underground in other countries. Uh, so the American church has, the pastor has thousands of followers on Instagram. The underground church pastor is forced to hide his identity to avoid the gulag. Uh, American church, eight trained musicians playing over a $12 million sound system. The underground church, acapella hymns whispered to avoid detection. Uh, American church, the pastor hides money in the walls. The underground church pastor hides in the walls. Uh, the last two, American church, search for a new church because the music isn't your style. How true is that? Even for us as Lutherans, that's the way we choose churches. The underground church, search for a new church because yours was burned down by warlords last week. And the last one, the American church. The authorities have to issue a ma mandate to stop them from gathering together to worship. The underground church, the authorities have to kill them to stop them from gathering together and worship. That one was pretty convicting for the American church. <laughs> All it took was the, the American government to say, you need to stop worshiping. And American worshipers, for the most part, said, yeah, okay, we okay. should do that. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the, the underground church, they've been told – for centuries to stop worshiping. And they said, nope, we're not going to do that. They're disobeying their government, which we've talked about in previous churches. But it's that quietism here. So uh, one of the questions I have from the study guide, Peter, is God's Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles were aggressive with the gospel. Are there times when Christians and pastors are uncomfortable because other Christians and pastors are aggressive with the gospel? If so, why do you think that is? Boy, I think um, I think one of the things that is challenging, and and I'm sure it's in every profession, um, but I I only understand it from the pastoral profession because that's you know what I've been doing, um, serving as a pastor, is that pastorally um, there's a couple of things. Like number one, you're supposed to you look like somebody who's supposed to have their his life together. Um, that is to say, you know, you're emotionally stable, you're fairly well read, uh, you can converse with people, you're pleasant, friendly, approachable, you know everything about scripture that there is to know, or at the very least, you can get back to people with an answer. 
um, and that generally speaking, your life is, you know, your days are stable and, and your mood is uh, stable and predictable, you know, maturity. Um, in reality, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't describe all of us and certainly not all the time, all the time that, um, that we're still human with, with our own particular faults, foibles and personal struggles. Um, so I think there's, there's that involved and, and, and so there is, there's the temptation to want to keep up appearances, um, because it's basically legalism, you know, looking, looking at the law, the law that says I need to measure up. And if I don't measure up, I need to cover up. Um, and, and I think that, that attitude can seep into our, into our minds, or at least creep in through the, the side door of, of our minds. Um, to say, oh, I saw what that pastor was doing on Facebook, and I'm I'm not that good. Um, but on the other hand, I saw that other guy, and man, I couldn't re watch ten minutes of his sermon because it put me to sleep. Um, and instead of committing ourselves to the the truth of the Word of God and the promises of the Word of God that He's going to bring fruit, um, we want to see tangible fruit uh, within our lives, within our own congregations, as proof that we're doing the right thing. I want to measure up yep. and if I don't measure up, I need to cover up um, so that if, if somebody else has a different interpretation or a different application, then, um, then that is going to threaten my own personal security and my own personal standing as a pastor. Like, Oh no, everybody's going to see that. I really don't know everything um, that if we have a disagreement and you know, Mike Zarling and his, his proposal is, uh, is very rigid and, or, you know, very structured and scripturally sound. And, um, and that can be that can be a threat that can come across as threatening because then it means I don't measure up and my covering up isn't going to work. Yeah, that's that's an interesting way you put that of covering up. I had taken a hit from someone recently that he was upset that I had said in a past a pastor's report that I wasn't going to be passive in my outreach any longer. I was going to be aggressive in an outreach. And this person, for whatever reason, took that as a slight. And what I meant by that was it's passive outreach. That was all it was able to do, trying to hold everything together with this newly merged church, Water of Life, that you know, all I could really do was send out some emails, put things on Facebook, do some texting and so forth. But I wasn't able, didn't have the time to go to people's homes to call them individually and so forth. But now with uh, my associate here, I have the time to be able to do that, to be aggressive in the outreach. And for whatever reason, God is blessing that aggressive outreach with now new members coming in, uh, baptisms, child, youth, adult, infant baptisms, all of those kinds of things that are happening. Right after Christmas, I spent three hours calling, texting, emailing all the people that God brought to our church for Christmas. But that's, again, that's not something that necessarily we're doing in the church. A lot of that was just our own people, like we'll hear in the gospel lesson for this Sunday saying, come and see. But with this question is when people are, when pastors and churches, when Christians are aggressive, going out with the gospel. They're on the street corners. They are preaching uh, with their signs and so forth. They're out there in front of uh, abortion clinics and so forth, and they are protesting. That makes others uncomfortable because we are used to just inner quietism. 
sitting back, letting things happen and so forth. And it makes us uncomfortable. And the key here in this chapter and why I asked the question is, no, we should be uncomfortable. We should be getting out there, putting on our camel's hair cloak and our leather belt. We don't have to eat the bugs because that's what uh, the New World Order wants us to be eating. We can you know, go have a good steak sandwich, then go do all of those things. But I think John the Baptist, Jesus, they made people uncomfortable. The apostles, the the prophets of the Old Testament, they were very, they had divine sarcasm. You know, I've said before in this podcast, these, they mocked people like Elijah on Mount Carmel. He is mocking those uh, Baal and Asherah prophets. And it's okay for us to mock the devil when something is so ludicrous, it deserves mockery. But then we're going to be looked down on because we're being mean and mean spirited and unchristian. No, we're just being aggressive. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Yeah, and and being very, yeah, I think like aggressive um, or or forward um, mm-hmm. because this was this was another quote from a book um, that friend read and then recommended it to me and I passed it off to a congregation member to read it <laughs> and just to say you know is this worthwhile or not and she said oh you got to look at this quote right here that a lot of times basically this was the gist of it a lot of times the purpose of the Christian and the work of the Christian is simply um, when you talk about evangelism to destabilize their confidence in what they already believe um, and so if, if you believe that this life is all that there is, that there's nothing after it, if you believe that science has all the answers, if you believe that um, all paths lead to heaven, then you know that, that's a good mental hook to say, well, what is the specific point of law that needs to be brought to bear here to destabilize their confidence in that position? Because that position is, um, is a tottering wall. It is, it is unstable, and it's not going to stand up at the judgment. Yeah, and with that... In the middle of page 117, I want to quote from the book, just because I love alliteration in my sermons. I've got someone in my congregation, he'll shake my hand on Sunday, good alliteration today. And, I, and I'll tell him, you know, sometimes you know, I'm, I'm getting, after uh, almost 30 years in the ministry, becoming more free in the pulpit. And and so I get away from my my written text and, and I told him, you know, the alliteration just kind of flows sometimes. So it does here. Do not fear angry atheists, malicious mobs, censoring social media, or fervent family and friends. St. Paul encourages, God did not give us a timid spirit, but a spirit of power and love and sound judgment. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. So that's saying, be bold out there. Uh, Don't be timid. God did not give us a spirit of timidity. So with that, Peter have we as churches been tempted to exchange praising Christ for the praise of the public? If so, how? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, praising Christ and praise from him versus the praise of the public. Um, I think I think this is one area where a Christian, you know, somebody who has been instructed in at least the basics of God's word, um, knows just enough of law and gospel to be dangerous. Um, and so it's like, you know, they know just enough to say, well, I've got Jesus and Jesus has forgiven me. Jesus has given me a new life. 
and um and then just leave it at that as if the law had nothing more to say to the christian now to the person who has been given a new life um where we trade the tr the the praise of jesus for the praise of the public by saying well yeah we've done our work and, and they know where we are and uh, uh, need to go out and talk to those people um because you know that would that would be uncomfortable and that would be you know outside of my comfort zone and besides you know i know jesus has forgiven me so therefore i am just fine to sit here and do whatever i want whenever i want because i'm just going to bask in the forgiveness that's for me yeah isn't there in a whole letter from one of the apostles about there just sitting around not doing anything just trusting in your faith and not doing works yeah that's the bible class we have coming up in about half an hour here Oh. Uh, the whole book of James. Like, there you go. <laughs> James is like, okay, you believe that there's one God good. And when he says that, he's talking about the uh, the Shema, um, which is basically the Old Testament version of the Apostles' Creed. So put it into modern Lutheran speak. Okay, you can recite the Apostles' Creed or you memorize the Apostles' Creed at one point. Great. Well, you know what? Satan knows that too. And and if all your faith is is talk but no walk, then it's not an actual faith. Yeah. And there you brought up the creed. Uh, I think there also the Lord's Prayer. How many times do we pray the Lord's Prayer and don't really think about it and then pray to put it in action? And I think of the Lord's Prayer because I was blessed last Saturday to go to a new family in our grade school to their home to do Bible study. And, and I told Peter, you know, I was there for three hours for two lessons. And he said, well, that's why you can preach such such short sermons because you teach such long Bible studies. Uh, but one of the questions that Jeanette asked me was, she's new to Lutheranism. She's only a few months in. She goes, what's this prayer that you pray in church every Sunday? What does it mean? And she was talking about the Lord's Prayer. And we're just so used to it in our Lutheran tradition, and she's coming from a different tradition where they're not saying it all the time. It's not part of their daily prayers. And it was really cool to go through each of the petitions and explain things to her. This is what God means of your kingdom come, God coming into your heart by faith. That was one of the lessons. And then teaching her, and then it's also the opposite. We're praying that God breaks Satan's kingdom. Your will be done, Lord, and break Satan's will in our world and in our culture. Uh, and there, what I was thinking, too, have we as churches been tempted to exchange praise in Christ for the praise of the of the public? Uh, just looking at the larger Christian landscape in America, looking at what the Catholic Pope has said recently to his bishops and priests, that they are to bless same-sex unions. You can't marry them, but you can bless them. And really, but just saying, hey, we're going to we're going to bless this and saying it's okay. Or Andy Stanley, his, his dad was uh, very conservative as a preacher, but now Andy Stanley, who is very popular, uh, he has bought into the LGBTQ LMNOP agenda with all of his, uh, all of his teachings. Uh, and he'll, he'll explain it this way is because he won't call a homosexual lifestyle, a sin. He'll say, well, we want to not turn anyone off from the gospel. And so he's very inviting that way. But then people aren't going to be hearing the law, so they're not hearing the gospel. 
or another big preacher was Rick Warren, who uh, just a year or so ago was ordaining women in his church. And so because of that, he and his church were kicked out of the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, it's all of these kinds of things, the ELCA, the United Methodists that aren't united because they're split up over all of these sexual sins and so forth. Oh, what scripture calls sexual sins and these church bodies don't because they are looking for the praise of the public. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, where it comes down to um, is that if you want to change what the Bible is saying, then you need to change how you read the Bible that the Bible is clear enough on, on this, this topic and many others, that if you want to change it so that it is more palatable to your, your fallen human reason or more palatable to what society says is, is right or wrong, you know, and society always picks up a, a new thing that is right or wrong every generation. Um, but either way, that demands that you change how you read the Bible. As is it the word of God that is giving guidance to our lives? Or is it a suggestion that we can overrule when we feel differently by popular vote? Yeah. And what I, what I write on page 116 toward the bottom of the page, we covet the praise of our friends, so we quiet our confession of Christ. We desire peace within our family, so we remain quiet about the Prince of Peace. We would rather encounter the culture than being countercultural through Christ. We find it easier to keep our mouth shut keep our faith to ourselves and privately live as Christians away from the public eye, then let everyone hear and see what we really believe. So we have to go back to that old children's song that we taught in vacation Bible school, you know, about this little light of mine, you know, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. You know, and that's what we need to do. We can't be timid as St. Paul says. So one last question then, Peter, is, what are some ways that culture might change as we Christians preach Christ into the culture? So before you get into that, I had another pastor call me out, and, and I think rightly so. He did it gently, but I think I had said something about in a sermon about that we need to change the culture. And I think he was right in calling me out is that's not our job. We're not to change the culture. We're to preach Christ crucified and resurrected into the culture, and then that will change the culture. But then the question is, when we're doing that, when we're not timid, when we are bold in our pulpits, in our classrooms, in our homes, and in the public square, and the public square being also social media, when we're doing that, what's the result? What, might, what kind of changes might we see? Yeah, definitely. A um, couple of things that, that come to mind. Well, maybe, especially when we're trying to, you know, preach a, a full gospel message, not just, um, but that, that gospel message is applied in particularities, you know, um, that the gospel message is, is applied um, when we are talking specifically about um, standing up for the unborn, for instance. They, one of the reactions might be a stronger sense of opposition and um and i think we've definitely seen that with some of the the, the talking heads um the the news outlets talking about uh christian nationalism which is basically where we've got um 
our number of our lawmakers who are Christians who are not very well instructed in their Christian faith and really have a legalistic version of Christianity. <laughs> Obviously, that is what it is, but they are known as being vocally Christian in their in their position. And so then there's talk about Christian nationalism, like, uh oh, you got to watch out because all Christians are bad because they're trying to impose their morals and ethics on your life through the force of law. Um, and sometimes when Christians want to change uh, things within the culture, whether it is, you know, one by one gospel ministry or more broadly making a logical, rational argument to change a law um, that might result in a stronger backlash. Um, whether it is protests and other free speech activities on the other side that say we that they they want something different. So I guess number one reaction would be opposition. Uh, number two reaction that kind of comes to mind is maybe there is a change. Um, I think I've mentioned this before, um, but you know, a few years ago, this would be about between 10, right around 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, um, when Rob Ford was still the premier of, uh, of Ontario, or maybe he was governor of Toronto, something like that. But um, around that same time, um, the basically the Toronto school board wanted to um, enact some some very uh, vulgar sex education for like children in ages four, five and six, you know, preschool, kindergarten, first grade, and um, of the sort of thing that I you don't even mention in polite company or even in impolite company because it's um it is dysfunctional and it and it just isn't i mean my mom listens to this podcast i think <laughs> <laughs> and so the uh there there was this very vocal wing that says we need to bring this sort of education Hello, Mama Hagen. <laughs> maybe <laughs> i sent her the link last week uh, so there was this very vocal wing that said we need to bring in this sort of re-education in for these preschool kindergartner and first graders so that they know all the things that they can do with all the parts of their body and um and the christians the christians basically said okay whatever you know public school and the people who stood up to it were all the uh, all the muslim immigrants um and and many of them born in canada but that they they take their faith seriously and they said no you're absolutely not teaching that to my children um, and if you if you pass this, we're going to vote you all out. And then the school board retracted and said, well, actually, we've reconsidered. We found a better option. Um, sometimes when people speak up, they make a change, um, whether it is stronger opposition um, or it results in a change in the law. And, you know, maybe the, the mushy little middle is where if we get a little bit of um, little bit of improvement, you know, maybe not a wholesale change in law or maybe it is. Um, we don't want to resort to putting our confidence in the law to say, I need to change society by passing better laws. But at the same time, we don't want to say, I'm going to ignore the way that our civics work. Right. And, and I think that's where the very first comment I had when I presented this book, the first five chapters at our pastor's conference, that first comment was, oh, Michael, you're mixing the two kingdoms, the spiritual and the earthly kingdoms and i'm not uh what what happens though is i think pastors and people they get nervous about talking the way you and i do peter about changing the culture but you have to know that when you're preaching the the kingdom of christ it's going to change the 
earthly kingdom. It just has to. One of two ways, like you mentioned, it might change so that as we are boldly preaching, then people are going to say, I'm not trusting the government. I'm not trusting politicians or big pharma, celebrities, athletes. I'm going to trust Christ. It can be that it's changing the trans ideology. I think you see some of that, that parents are starting to push back a little bit in all of the grade schools and high schools, the libraries. Uh, you're seeing that uh, in the conversation when it comes to women's sports. Uh, an old clip from Serena Williams surfaced last week where she was on the David Letterman show from 2013, and he had asked her if she'd be able to beat then male champion Andy Murray and she just laughed and she said, no, he would beat me in 10 minutes, six, zero, six, zero. And, but she couldn't say that in 2023, now 2024, uh, things have changed, but maybe as we're pushing back and saying, this is what God really says about sex and there's no gender, it's sex, male and female. And there, you can't, there's no spectrum and things like that. Uh, and so people might be more accepting of Christianity because our world isn't crazy with all the devil's lies. But as you also said, because the devil's lies have taken over so much in our culture, now when we're shining the light into that darkness, when we're sharing the truth into all of the lies, now people are going to push back and now it's going to be even worse for us than it has been. And that's okay too. One way or another, uh, culture will change. Either it changes to become more like the spiritual kingdom or it's going to become more like the earthly kingdom that it already is, but then we're more bold in the spiritual kingdom. And that's okay if we're more like that underground church that the Babylon Bee mentions in their article. Yeah. And and I mean, to separate a little bit of... Um a little bit of who I am from what I from what I do to have that separation to understand that I mean first of all I'm a Christian that influences everything but that second of all um, I practice my Christianity through the civic institutions that God has given um, that both things that we hold on to both things um, and that the world and its kingdom is the ruler of the kingdom of the air is the devil and the kingdom of Christ is advancing. <laughs> and he invites us to participate in that. Yeah, and when, it, when you say the kingdom of God is advancing, is we need to be aggressive with the gospel. For too long, we've been passive. Now, the door of the church is open. The times are there. You know, we're inviting people just because we're here. And it's very passive. We need to be going aggressively uh, I'm going to be taking my wife and one of our Shoreland teachers who's a member and four of our high school seniors out to the Portland, Oregon area over spring break to do door canvassing. And to do the door canvassing, though, the members of the church, they're going to go out and put flyers on the doors in their neighborhoods uh, collecting food for local food pantries. And then we're going to come along with our team and then collect the food and then ask questions and so forth and promote the church that way. And the pastor that's there, he said, well, one of the, he's got a dual parish and one of the communities where the church is at, he said, it's a very liberal leftist 
uh, they're very much, his words were rainbow flag. But then he, he rightly pointed out, he said, but they're also the people that would be very much for giving food to food pantries. And so this is the exact opportunity. They would not come into the doors of that church on their own. But if we're bringing, not even the gospel necessarily, that we're just showing, hey, the gospel is in this place. There's a little bit of light coming from this and there's a lot of darkness. We're being aggressive with it. And there I think of uh, Dwight L. Moody, who was a famous uh, evangelist in a century and a half ago or so, that he said to someone who had criticized his way of doing outreach, he said, well, I like my way of doing things better than your way of not doing anything. <laughs> so, and, and I use that a lot because I can get, uh, I can have people talking to me because I'm very aggressive with the gospel. And that's okay. I, I can take it. And some might say I'm impatient. That's okay too. I, I know that. But I explained to my daughters, I'm kind of like in in the DC comics movies where you have Flash and then you know he's running and everything else around him is like in slow motion. That's my world that I live in. That I'm going at one speed and then everything else is going slowly around me. They probably have medication for that now. <laughs> yeah, my wife says that if I was if I was uh, younger, they'd probably give me medication for ADHD. So I don't have ADHD. I just like to do things fast yeah. and do a lot of things and get them all get them all done. They may not be done necessarily well, but like I said, I'd rather do things and get them done. You know, you know, like Dwight L. Moody said, I like my way of doing something better. Mm -hmm. Let's just get it done than doing it and waiting and waiting and then being passive. Yeah, it's kind of the idea of a, a, a mediocre or a moderate plan. Mediocre plan ex exercise with uh, force and vigor um, beats an excellent plan that is never put into action. But yeah, but then I, just also watched, think, uh, yeah. I just watched the, the movie Dungeons and Dragons last night. I'm not going to recommend it. I wish <laughs> they just would have taken the old cartoon that they had and then just used those characters in the movie. But the the main character in the movie, he is a planner. And the thing is, is his plans don't always work out, but he says, but I've got this plan A and then plan B. And then those don't, plan B doesn't work. And he goes, well, I've got plan C. And the other characters go, well, what's plan C? And he says, he says, it and he goes, that was, that was plan A. He goes, yeah, but plan A didn't work, but I think it will work this time. <laughs> you know, but just keep planning and keep working. The idea is for churches, keep, being aggressive with the gospel for people. Keep being aggressive with the gospel in your social media, with your friends. Again, the gospel lesson for this Sunday, telling people come and see to overcome their skepticism, but not when we encounter Nathaniel who's skeptical and then just, oh, okay. And just let, let him right. be there. Well, and, and I, I, think, I interrupt you, Peter. I think that that food drive is a fantastic example um, of kind of destabilizing somebody's inherent beliefs in, in what they think. So if, if that community, if I'm picturing that community that the pastor described as um, very pro LGBTQ rights um, and all that entails, but also wanting to come across and present themselves as caring people who care about the community and are involved in society and that sort of thing. Um, that also means that if I 
if I am pro-gay marriage and that church down the street is not pro-gay marriage, then that church is bad and mean and ugly and I'm not going to go there. Um, but if you found that part where it overlaps, where the Christian church is like, we're doing a food drive and they're like, well, we like to support uh, the, the, the hungry and help those in need. Um, then all of a sudden you've got an opportunity to, I think that word was to destabilize the, the beliefs that they're holding about the church, that the church doesn't care about these people or those people. But then all of a sudden, why is the church the ones here picking up food for those people? Maybe those those people at the church aren't exactly who I mentally checked them out to be. Yeah, because people are going to put up all kinds of walls and then your job is just knock down the walls or like Philip, go around the walls and just say, come and see and uh, just invite them onto the path for Jesus. Uh, I want to close with the last paragraph on page, page 118. Fellow Christian, you can't change the world while remaining comfortable. You cannot expect the culture to change as you sit in your basement watching Hulu and eating Hot Pockets. You need to be up and active. You must be willing to sacrifice. You need to counteract your quietism by standing, speaking up, and speaking out. Solomon counteracts Christian quietism when he wisely writes in Proverbs 31, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And so there I challenge our listeners is think of ways that you can put Solomon's wise words into action. Speak up for those who cannot speak. Speak for the rights of those who are defenseless. And then I want to wrap up. I got an email. I'm just going to read a portion of this. Uh, it, it says, in early November, I presented a three-week Bible class on Christian citizenship. During the course of that presentation, a lady recommended your book. I intended to send an email with how much I liked it as soon as I finished. Unfortunately, I've spent so much time underlining and dog-earing the pages I may not finish for a while. And I'm about to begin the chapter on Christian quietism. He says, your book has been a great encouragement. I have heard similar speech from some evangelical pastors and from some Catholic priests. However, I had all but given up expecting to hear preaching about cultural issues in the wells. Your book does that in a powerful way. Your book, and he quotes the book, preaches the gospel, but also teaches how to live in the, live the gospel in the real world. And then the last paragraph, he says, I have received many different reactions from wells laity and pastors alike on the subject of discussing government and religion together. My wife are not lifelong wells. While we appreciate the sound doctrine of the wells, the silence on social concerns is troubling. That's why I found your book encouraging. There are many things from your book that I find would work well in my presentation. Uh, thank you, and may God continue to bless your work in his kingdom. Uh, thank you, Michael, for that. In fact, I'm going to be meeting for Michael this next week for some coffee and Kringle nearby just to talk about these things. So keep sharing the book out there. I don't know if I make any money on the book. That's not the the big thing. The the big thing is to be able to create these conversations and get these conversations out there. So please keep sharing the book, sharing these podcasts, sharing these YouTube videos, and then go out there on your own and just be aggressive in, in the gospel. Be like Philip. Come and see. We'll see you next week.